I'm Zoe Kreiner. I am the founder and president of Support Over Stigma. What inspired you to create Support Over Stigma? So from my grandfather to my son, 34 in my family have served or are currently serving. And so I've always had a passion for helping. And in November 2nd, 2019, I had to call my son while he was deployed 9,000 miles away from home and tell him that he'd lost his best friend to PTSD. Um, He ended up losing three people in a very short amount of time. And it initially started as a mama bear's heart of how do I make sure my own, you know, person is okay. And then I realized how many don't have the support at home. And so it started with care packages to deployed troops and it turned into foodie Fridays with our veterans who didn't go out during COVID and needed groceries. It morphed into so many other programs. It's just been amazing to watch it grow. So what is it about just the little things to help someone's mental health. Yeah. And and that's the thing. I, I think that so many people shy away from it because they think it's going to be this huge, crazy involved thing. And it can be, takes five seconds to send a text message. Hey, thinking about you today, how are you doing? Or when you sit down face to face with somebody, or even when you're talking to them on the phone, you know, I, I, I so much dislike the response. I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay, but tell me, how are you really? And it can be leaving a note. Like during Foodie Fridays, we had 19 veterans out of my VFW who didn't leave their house for 15 months because there was no vaccine and they were in their 80s and 90s and afraid to leave home. So we would drop off bags of groceries with cards and notes that just said, hey, we're thinking about you. We're here if you need anything. And then we realized one or two weren't doing so well. So it would be, I'd leave a bag on your doorstep and say, Michael, call Joe. Joe, call Zoe. Zoe, call Kelly, right? Just check in on each other and just let them know you're there because isolationism is truly the boogeyman of the brain. It, it adds to the spiral. It makes things worse. You feel like you're the only one. And chances are, I, you know, I'm a firm believer everybody at some point in their life should see a counselor of some sort, you know? <laughs> and I hate that there's such a stigma attached to it. You know, if I came to you and I said, hey, Mike, I, I think I could use a few, to lose a few pounds. I think I'm gonna join a gym. Nine times out of 10, you would cheer me on. You would ask if I wanted somebody to walk, you know, a walking buddy or something. If I came to you and said, you know, I'm struggling with my finances and I feel like I need to do better. Do you know somebody? Chances are you would work with me and you would applaud me for making that decision. If I come to you and I say, hey, I'm struggling. I think I need to start seeing a counselor. People's knee-jerk reaction is, you know, what the heck is wrong with you? Instead of... I tell people when they reach out to us, that's the strongest, most courageous decision you can make. It's hard. As humans, I think we're programmed to to hide our vulnerability, to to not tell people, you know, and especially when you're talking about our primary focus is active duty military veterans, first responders, and their families. So these are people who are hardwired to be the helpers. Right. Um, you know, 
you have an, a, an active shooting. The, the police are the ones and the military are the ones running into the situation right. while everybody else is running away. So, and even in the military, it's like, you know, rub some dirt on it. You know, it's kind of the standard answer when you get hurt. So how can you even remotely ask for help? And so it can be all those little things. Um, I love snail mail. I, I, I think it's so sad that we've gotten away. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you got a card in the mail or a note in the mail from somebody that just said, hey, I'm thinking about you or, you know, hope you have a great day. And it can even be a, you know, a little postcard. It doesn't have to be this long drawn out letter. Um, I found these um, cards recently that says a note not from my phone or you know, a no note not from my phone. And it's just like, hey, how you doing? Just you were on my mind, wanted to let you know I was thinking about you. And and people are just amazed when that happens. So there are so many ways we can help people who battle with mental health issues. And um, a lot of organizations out there will do work with veterans because we've all heard that phrase 22 a day, right? Yeah. 22 a day veterans take their life. Um, while I'm grateful that that becomes a talking point, I get very frustrated. I read the original study. It only included 21 states. It only included if you used a rope or a gun and if the coroner check marked the box that said you were a veteran. How many do you think got missed? Illinois, where I live, has never reported, ever. And then and there's a new study out that says it's probably closer to 48 a day. Active duty suicides are up 27% and no one talks about first responder suicides. And and kind of an interesting statistic, um, um, I, ha I had to write it down because I want to make sure I got it right. I was doing some research for something and 10% um, of veterans come home to become EMTs, 19% come home to be firefighters, and 25% come home to become police officers. So they, they see it in the military and then they see it again on their job. So they, it, it all rolls in together. And, and we are the proud parents of, of a brand new veteran. And we also have a daughter who is a firefighter. And so we see it from both sides in our family. And it, it's amazing. So like with first responders, if there's been a particularly bad call, we'll show up and we'll, we'll bring snacks or treats. And I don't look like a shrink. I don't talk like a shrink. I don't report to their boss. They can have a conversation with me if... If you reached out and said, hey, Zoe, I think I need to chat, we could meet somewhere for a cup of coffee and anybody could walk up to the table and you could say, this is my friend Zoe, and they would have no idea who I am or what I do. And, and it just is, is a, one more way we can provide some sort of help. My son, when my son, everything happened and my son lost three people in such a short amount of time, he was deployed. And he said to me, he says, you know, mom, if I go to my boss, they're going to DNA, which means do not arm. My son's job revolved around being armed and they would have confined me to quarters for two weeks, which is, was a tent in the middle of warm, sandy places. How does that do anybody any good? Right. Um, and then we realized, so we started with the care packages. All of our care packages have cards and notes and letters saying, hey, here are the things to watch for. And if you or somebody you know is struggling, Here's the couple places in the military and here's all the other places outside the military you can seek help. And our mission is not to circumvent anybody's authority. It's not to step on anybody's toes. It's to save lives, literally save lives. And then 
the Foodie Friday program started. And then we started outreach where I live in the Chicagoland area. We actually have three VA hospitals. And so we work with all three of them as well as some of the VA homes and some of the local nursing homes. We started a Valentine for Veteran program. We just delivered 3,500 Valentine cards from all over the country, as well as little goodie bags, just to let them know we're thinking about them. We do, um, Great Lakes Naval Station is close. We do things with them. Um, we spend Christmas day with the sailors and Marines that can't go home for Christmas. And um, it, it's just amazing to me how much this has grown. We actually are in the middle of um, applying for grants and working with sponsors. We want to um, open a physical location right now. You know, th this started as a couple of military moms sitting on my deck saying something needs to change, right? And, and that's how it started. And then, um, so our entire board, everybody is either a military family member or a law enforcement family member or a veteran. Um, a lot of our volunteers were up to over 90 veterans and first responders who will take phone calls 24 seven. So if somebody calls, we can hook them up with someone who's been there, done that. You know, um, we would never pair up, you know, an, an Afghan vet with a Vietnam vet because what they saw is totally different. So we, um, we try to narrow it down and we also, um, another thing that just flabbergasted me when I started this was um, one of our first big events was we had over um, 40 organizations that either helped veterans and first responders or were veteran-owned businesses. And as everybody was leaving, they got a piece of paper that said, hey, <clears throat> you know, here's, here's every organization, every contact person, their name, their phone number, their email, and their website. And people were like, oh, you're sharing your resources. They're not my resources. They don't do me any good. They're to help everybody. And, and the amount of organizations are out there. And it's, it's one of those things. I'm excited there's so many organizations out there, but it's sad that there have to be so many organizations because let's face it, the VA fails our veterans on a daily basis. And, and, and I say that I, I've worked with enough VAs to know there are some really not so good people out there. And there are some really great people out there, but it's hard sometimes to get through the not so good people to get to the good one that'll really help. And so if we can help get them through that process faster, we also work with homeless veterans, getting them off the streets. Um, we work with, you know, so when people think mental, mental health issues or, or Ill, mental health illness, right. Um, especially when it comes to PTSD, they think flashbacks, they think nightmares, because that's what the media portrays it as. Um, something that they don't realize is there's 20, I think we're up to 27 symptoms. Uh, you know, everything from overeating, undereating, um, addiction. And when they think addiction, they think drugs and alcohol. They don't think about gambling or porn or shopping or gaming or even exercising can become an addiction if it, you're doing it too much and for the wrong reasons. And so trying to help them find what works for them. I met with a young guy yesterday who um, has suffered a lot of blows in life recently and just trying to help him sort out what's the next right step. What's, you know, 
what would work for you wouldn't work for him or what would work for someone my age might not work for somebody my son's age. And the, the younger vets coming home don't want to hang out in the VFWs and American Legions. They don't want to go get drunk with somebody the age of their grandfather. They don't, you know, and so there's so much that goes into it. But, you know, we got our name support over stigma because we are so tired of people thinking there's something wrong with you because you're struggling with a form of mental illness. And I don't care if it's anxiety, depression, bipolar, um, PTSD, moral injury, critical incident stress. It's, it, it, let's take you for example, right? If you struggle with any of those, everyone in your sphere of influence struggles, right? Whether it's a spouse or significant other, your children, your job, your neighbors, how you interact with everybody is affected by that. And so normalizing, we do a lot of educational events where we talk to groups about, hey, here's what it looks like when you're somebody who's struggling. It can be hard to get out of bed. It can be hard to remember to brush your teeth. It can be hard to go to work. And if you, so when we say we help people who, who struggle with those things, it may be, we're not, you know, he's got into, he or she has gotten into gambling. So now they're having a hard time that's their form of self-medicating. So then they're having trouble paying their rent or finding groceries or um, any of those kinds of things. And, and so, you know, as this has grown, we actually have, um, in fact, just this last week, an awesome group called Ruck Chicago backed a landscaping trailer up to my garage and unloaded I think we counted 29 bag, garbage bags full of clothes, oh, wow. um, more canned goods than we could count. And part of why we want a building is we want to be able to have a facility where people can come and get those things and not, not feel any of the stigma that comes from reaching out for help. You know, it, people think, oh, you know, they've got it made. They, their housing's paid for, their food's paid for, their, you know, they get a TRICARE, they get this, they get that. They don't, if you do the math, they don't even make minimum wage when they're on active duty. And really, they don't. I mean, a lot of them work 12, 15 hour days. And, and if you do the math, it just doesn't add up. And then they get out and people wonder why they struggle because they don't prepare them to leave the military as well as they should either. And so some of the things we've done is worked with local colleges for reentry programs or um, people who can help them get into school faster and how to use their GI Bill. And I'm super excited. We're holding our first ever I Am the Veteran event, which is a female-specific veteran event, because so many times they're completely overlooked. Uh, it, you know, they walk into the VA and, and people kind of look around them like, where's your spouse? Where's the veteran? You know, I, I'm the veteran. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, but that's what the, these women the feel. Women. And so making sure everybody gets the help they need, not just a few. Well, what you're saying, <clears throat> <clears throat> what you're saying really hits home uh, for me because uh, in 2019, I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar two disorder and uh finally i got the the treatment and support that i needed but i didn't say anything publicly for two and a half years because i was nervous what people would think of me would i lose my job would just ever all that stuff was on my mind but two and a half later two and a half years later i eventually said it and i felt like it became my superpower as opposed to a negative thing so i've just 
think of, you know, do you see the stigma going away a little bit in the past few years? I do. And and it's been really interesting because the VAs even acknowledge something called secondary PTSD, which is where as a result of the veterans PTSD, their family suffers almost a secondary version of PTSD. And they, they've acknowledged that publicly and they're starting to do more programs. In fact, they're currently piloting a program in um, the Madison area where it's a sister to sister program where a female veteran will meet a female veteran at the door and walk through the whole day with them. Because so many times the females won't go to the VA because of whatever happened to them while they were in the military. Um, and so people are talking about that. People are talking about, um, you know, in the military, they don't call it what it is. I mean, sexual harassment, rape, uh, whatever, they call it an MST, a, a, a military sexual trauma. They don't even call it what it really is. And, and even that has become more of a topic of conversation. And actually more men suffer MSTs than do women, just because there's more men in the military. Um, and acknowledging the fact, and, and it's become more acceptable to say, you know, I see a counselor or, you know, um, I struggled and I got help and I'm better now. Or even, even back five years ago, it, you being on, you know, who you are admitting publicly saying, I have the, you know, I have bipolar and, and that would be like, oh my gosh, and people would whisper. And now I think the more that we talk about it, the more we make it okay to talk about it, which is a big part of our education side is everywhere we go. It's, it's, I don't care if you take medicine. I don't care if you do talk therapy. I don't care if you do have an emotional support animal or do equine therapy, or there's a phenomenal group down here that works with lathes, a lathe and helps them make, do woodworking and make things. And, and whatever it is that works for you, that's what's important. It's not that you've got it. It's how do we help you cope with it? now. And that's the, the big turn and the big tide change that I want to see and continue to see. And we're working on building a network here in Chicago Airland area where it's easier to find those programs and know, hey, I got a guy with, you know, who loves horses. Okay. Operation Horses and Heroes. Somebody who wants to do woodworking. Wonderful. Let's call Greg at a call to shoulders or um, Canines for Veterans, which will provide a service dog for free or any of these organizations. And we all partner together because it, it's not about the glory. It's not about, oh my gosh, look what Zoe did, right? It's, we are all working together and, and we're making a difference. And that's what matters. And when you were first diagnosed, it, was it an aha moment? Was yeah. it a, and, and, and I always ask people that because how did you feel when they told you you had bipolar too? I actually, I was, I was happy that I knew what it was that you, because, you know, it just doesn't magically appear. There's issues, you know, throughout the, right. my life. So once that was like, okay, now I know how to treat it and all that. So that was a big, like you said, aha moment. Right. And several people that I talked to say it was a relief. I finally knew I wasn't crazy. There really was something wrong with me, yeah. whether it's chemical, biological, you know, whether it's, um, 
you know, PTSD is kind of the physical manifestation of what happened. Moral injury is more the spiritual manifestation of what happened, right? From the time you're born till you turn 18, you build your moral fiber, you build your moral core of, you know, whether it's society, scouts, your family, church, this is right, this is wrong, right? We all learn that. And then you go into the military or you become a first responder and all of a sudden you're doing things that are in direct opposition to that. That causes what we call a moral injury. And that's another piece that needs to be dealt with because, and you know, whether you call them God, Buddha, the oak tree in your backyard, mother earth, whatever, right? Whatever you consider your, your moral higher power until you fix that and get that right no amount of medication is ever going to make it okay. And so, and the VA is starting to actually acknowledge moral injury as well. And the first responders call PTSD critical incident stress because it tends to be related to a very, very specific incident, whereas PTSD can be one incident or it can be a series of incidents. Um, you know, if you're deployed and, you know, missiles are going over your head every day, pick a day, which day is it that costs your PTSD, right? It, it's a yeah. culmination of things. Whereas if, you know, um, we had a situation here where there was an automobile accident and all four first responders knew the victim from high school. And so all of them had to work through that. So not just was it the horrors of seeing what had happened, it was dealing with it on a personal level as well. So it's, it, it all works together. It's all, and, and people who want to say, okay, you know, I want to fix this part, but I don't want to fix that part, or I want it, we're all one being. So you got to fix all of it. And that's been a big shift too, I think, in some of the stuff that the VA is doing as well. Uh, how, how is your uh, son doing? My son is doing great. He's a brand new veteran. He's um, started college. He's really excited. So that's going very well. You said something that I hear a lot from veterans is the transition back to civilian life. Do you think there's ways to make that uh, easier mentally for people to, you know, because it's such a difference? It is. And and that's kind of why we call them veterans, right? You can't ever go back to being a civilian because your brain is literally reprogrammed during basic training. Right. It, it, it literally physically changes. And so you can't ever go back to being a civilian. But I think there's, there's a big difference with how you transition out of the military. I talked to a guy who was in the Middle East came home, was on, on U.S. soil for two days, and on the third day, he was home with his family. How do you make that transi you know, transition? Um, my son was supposed to be in a, a class that has you, you know, as part of your exit thing. There were over 300 people on a week-long Zoom class where they covered about 250 slides a day, and he ended up having to work some of those days because COVID hit their unit, and they were short people. So, it's really hard to get everything you need. I would love to see a program once you come out that, that helps you because even the resume they help you write during that process, it's very geared towards, here's what I did in the military. Well, somebody on the civilian side, unless you're going to go, you know, um, let's say you were an MP or, or, or high risk security in the military, right? I know how to use these 25 different 
weapons. I know how to do this. I know how to do that. But unless you're going to apply for a SWAT team position, how does that apply to the anything in the civilian world? Um, other things like if you come out straight out of the military and get a full-time job, did you know that that employer is entitled to up to a $9,600 tax credit just for hiring you? So that's a bargaining chip they need to know because it could increase their salaries. Um, or even just basic things like how much how to adjust to, okay, you've worked for three years, you've worked from four o'clock in the afternoon till four o'clock in the morning. How do you go back to a normal sleep schedule? Right. You know, very basic things. What do you do when, you know, and my son had a little bit of this, what do you do when you come home and all your friends are gone or the ones that are left, you have absolutely nothing in common because they're complaining about stupid stuff and you've literally watched people die. It, it, it changes who you are as a person. And so I would love to see more of a, a program that works part in the military and part out of the military where they get paid for both, you know, all the way through, but that helps them work with the civilian people to get their resume written, to work with employers. There are websites out there that all, all they want to do is hire veterans that most veterans aren't even aware that exist. We work with employers where if you have a small company, we can come in and do a veterans resource group for you. If you're, you're not a big enough company to, you know, man it yourself or, you know, so many things because a veteran coming home, getting a job is going to be a different kind of employee than a civilian, they're going to have certain expectations because of what they've been programmed with for the four, six, eight, 10, 12 years they've been in the military. Um, and, and if they see that they're getting paid the same, they're showing up early, they're finishing their job, they're staying late to get it done, and they're getting paid the same as the guy who shows up late and leaves early, not going to be there long, right? So there's just so much to it. Um, it's been amazing to me, though, how much and how fast this has grown from, you know, from the care packages, the peer to peer program, the counseling, the um, foodie Fridays, the outreach programs, the female veteran programs that we're working on now. It's just been amazing to me how fast it's grown. And it's so desperately needed. And our goal, as I said in the beginning, was it to get these grants, get this building so we can actually have a community center of sorts, a, an outreach center where they can come and be, and it's okay to be. And if you've ever been in a room, we've done family events where, you know, you have all these people in the room and always veterans will migrate one way, the kids will migrate the other way. And after about five to seven minutes, you literally will watch all these women or, or spouses, they're not always women, who are standing like super tense, who just kind of go, <sighs> because for five minutes, all is right in the world. And, and even those programs, you have to help the whole family, not just the veteran, because everything that person's going through affects everybody in their life. So to be able to have a center where we can run kids programs, where we can run um, spouse support groups, where we can run, you know, all of those things is our goal because it's so desperately needed right now. And, and the VA does, I think, for the most part, you know, there are a few bad apples everywhere, but I think they really try to do the best they can. But if you're a veteran and you get to be seen once a month by somebody at the 
let's say you see a psychiatrist once a month or psychologist once a month at the VA. What do you do for the other 30 days in the month? Right. And that's where we pick up the slack and, and fill in the gap. So. How has the positive impact of the organization helped your mental well-being? <laughs> you know, it's really amazing. Um, it, it's always amazing to me when I sit down and, and, and start talking to somebody. I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. I, I um, my my faith in my own spiritual journey is really important to me. And, and I believe that everything I've been through, I go, th I've gone through for a reason and to see how that, um, I have a, a family member who battled mental health issues my whole life. Right. And he passed away a year ago and, and watching him struggle and watching him battle. And, and he would do great while he was on his medication. And then he would come off his medication because he thought I'm doing great. I don't need it anymore. And then, you know, the vicious cycle and watching him struggle and watching how it affected everybody around him. And I think that makes me even more effective helping the families as well, because I've literally been there. I, I get it. And and with all the family members who are veterans that have come home to become first responders or, or go into whatever other things that they've done and seen how that affects and changes the world and, and being able to put that personal experience. You know, I'm always quick to say, I, I'm not a veteran, I'm a civilian. Um, I, I had somebody tell me the other day, I need to stop saying I'm just a mom because you're never just a mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't lace up those boots. I didn't sign my name on the dotted line, but because I have so many people in my world who have, I, I think that my life experience helps, but I also think that they see my passion and understand that I'm in it for the right reasons. And that's kind of the secret sauce that makes me different from a lot of organizations out there because I, I get it. I, I, I get it more than most. I wanted to um, show you something before I forget. So when we yeah. hand out our business cards, you don't just get a business card. This is how we usually hand them out. And I don't know how well you can see this with the glare on my computer, but it's a little baggy and in it, it has an American flag. And we tell them that's to remind you what you fought for. It has a little military, usually army guys, um, or we also have ones with police and firemen in them. And that's to remind you, you always, always have a battle buddy. And then the business card is, if you can't find one, call us and we will help you find one because that's the thing, right? We can sit and tell all these scary statistics of, you know, the 22 or really 48 a day or all these other things. But the thing I always try to end with is hope. There's hope. The hardest thing you'll ever do is pick up that phone. And whether it's to call us, whether it's now 988 is national, you don't have to remember that big 10 digit hotline number anymore, just dial 988. And if you're police or first responder, hit one and you'll be connected to a specific unit. And there is hope. And, and once you make that phone call, there's somebody who will walk every single step of the way with you. And that's so important because so many people, especially when with depression or anxiety, it, 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 it's almost like that reverse tornado, right? It, it's like that downward spiral. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the worse it gets, the more alone you feel. And the more alone you feel, the more you isolate. And the more you isolate, the more alone you feel. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just becomes this huge, crazy cycle. So taking that step to get out is huge and makes all the difference in the world.
you talked uh, about hopefully building, uh, having a physical building, but what else do you want to see the organization do in the next three to five years? I'd love to be able to continue um, our care package program. In my son's graduating class from tech school, there were 100 service members. 37 of them had come straight out of the foster care system into the military. They have no support system at home at all. Being able to make sure we're taking care of that everyone, but especially those who have no one at home. Continuing to um, provide this peer-to-peer program and, and strengthen it and grow it in numbers so that, you know, anytime, day or night, anywhere in the world, not just in Illinois, right? Um, although we cover multiple counties here physically, um, I've driven as far away as Iowa, Northern Indiana, and parts of Michigan to physically meet with veterans. But we do things via Zoom all over the world with service members that are struggling. You know, a big part of what we do is try to work within the lines, but there are times you have to go outside the lines. And and I never want anybody to feel, feel like I'm circumventing authority or, you know, being flippant about anything. It's about truly saving lives. And my friend, Christine, when I found out that Patrick was gone, I never, ever want another mom to have to go through that. I don't want I have a family that I'm working with right now. Their veteran has tried for the third time in six months to take his life. Getting them the help that they need. You know, our homeless veterans, homeless and veterans should never be in the same sentence. You know, I, I had a homeless veteran who was sleeping in his Jeep with his 18-month-old baby. It took the vet, VA two and a half months to get him into a permanent space. I got them off the streets in 10 hours. I, I made phone calls. I got donations. We put them in an extended stay um, hotel and, you know, for lack of a better phrase, and, and it, it, just to get them off the streets. Um, it, it's the way things are done at the VA have to change. It, most of their policies and procedures were written after World War II. We're not in that anymore. It, having um, having apps where people can get in on an app and just talk to somebody. Uh, there's a group out there called, um, I don't remember if it's Stack Up or Stack Em Up. It's a gaming group where they have people on there too, because a lot of times, you know, the guys will put on their heads or girls will put on their headsets and they'll game and they'll actually talk to somebody while they're gaming. Uh, it's truly finding enough programs to help the veteran wherever they're at and, and helping them and their families know it's okay to not be okay. You know, I always joked growing up, um, I, I don't know that there actually is such a thing as a functional family. I think everybody's dysfunctional a little bit in their own way. Some are just way more dysfunctional than others, right? Um, but how many of us know people who hide behind that perfect facade? and letting somebody in and being vulnerable and growing to where we're not just here, but we're in all 50 states and we're, we're in places and have connections to the USOs and the chaplains. And, you know, we have an aircraft carrier that had a huge numbers of suicides last year. 
So I can send care packages. I can send cards and notes and letters, but that's not solving the toxic leadership problem. That's not solving the mental health issues that are there. And so training more and more people to be able to serve as those peer counselors, because most people battling mental health illness of some sort don't necessarily want to go and sit in a sterile office somewhere. They don't want to go to the VA. They don't want to um, do those things. But I've got a Vietnam vet that I met for seven months, once a week for seven months on a park bench near a river, not far from where I live, because that's where he was comfortable. And he talked and he was so grateful when we were, when that seven months was up about how much his life had changed. That's what I want to see. And that's the difference I want to make is to remind them, everyone, you're not alone. You're not the only one. And, um, and suicide's a problem, not just obviously in, in military and veterans and first responders, right? It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. I just, we specialize in that because that's what we know, right? We're all military family members. That's what we know. But I think like as a country, doing more things, you know, making it more acceptable, making it less of a taboo. I think that's the key.